deal with various laws and principles of cleanness. There's a lot of things that uh, we'll need to think about with this. Um, but I want to make some general considerations before we plunge into this chapter. It is striking how far the will of God reaches into the daily routines and the daily concerns of his people. He is concerned about what we eat. He's concerned about childbirth. He's concerned about diseases. He's concerned about all kinds of things in our daily life. And you see that in this. And you see his concern with the Israelites about food and what they would eat. Now, that may not be so shocking if you've been reading the Old Testament. The very first law God ever gave was a dietary law. Remember what it was? Don't eat that tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, you remember what Adam and Eve did with that law? They broke it, and that brought disaster on them and on the human race. And uh, so God has been concerned about uh, what is eaten, and he gives here in chapter 11 a detailed uh, explanation of what animals were clean and what were unclean, and thus what could be eaten and what could not be eaten. There are a lot of discussions about why God made the distinctions that he made. I'm not very persuaded by them. Um, I will throw out a couple that you probably ought to think about, two or three, but I'm not so sure I believe any of these. It's very common to suggest that he excluded these unclean animals because they were more unhealthy for us to eat. Carriers of disease or, or in other ways they would not have been as good for them health-wise. Maybe. Perhaps you can see that in some cases. However, God has taken those laws away for us. Doesn't God care about our health today? So that makes it a little hard for me to take that one. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm not fully persuaded. But that's a consideration. You ought to consider that possibility. A second possibility is that many of these animals that were prohibited perhaps were involved in pagan worship in some way. And perhaps he was excluding animals from their diet to try to keep them away from paganism. Maybe, but I'm really not persuaded of that one either. I'm not sure that really stacks up with the evidence. And I'm not so persuaded that most of these laws are really a reaction to paganism. But you can consider that one. Because he told them to. A third explanation that, well, it makes more sense but it's that he excluded from their diet animals that in their form of movement didn't fit well into the category. Animals that were kind of not conforming to the pattern that God gave as far as movement of that kind of animal. Now, there's really some things you can see in that. That kind of fits some of this. But I'm not totally persuaded by that one either. For one thing, God made all the animals. And he gave them their movements and all of that. So that, I don't know. It's kind of like if he's saying some animals he didn't cause to move the right way or whatever. I, I don't know. May, that, that You can certainly see some things there. But 
I'm not totally persuaded of that. So I am really not real settled on what rationale there is for this. And maybe it is just that God said so. I'm not overly persuaded by that one, though I think we need to obey what God says because he said so. I suspect there is rationale that's not arbitrary behind most of God's laws, and usually we can see it. I may have to fall back onto that in this. I don't really have anything else to say, and maybe some of you will come up with some better explanations for me, but I, I, so far nothing has really persuaded me that, that, that this is the right explanation for why God makes these divisions. However that is, we do have a distinction between three kinds of animals. Unclean animals, clean animals, and sacrificial animals. Just as there are distinctions between three groups of people, the Gentile nations, Israel, and the priests. So you can kind of see that three-part division in both animals and people. I believe that the distinction between the clean and the unclean food is totally obsolete. There is no more clean and unclean food. I would say that for three passages especially. Mark 7.19, Jesus declared all foods clean. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, that all is to be received uh, from the Lord if it's received with gratitude, talking about food. And Acts 10, the sheet vision of Peter, where God, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy or unclean. Those three passages, I think, very specifically say that these law, food laws, dietary laws, no longer apply, besides all the general passages that say we're not under the law anymore. That certainly doesn't mean we can't learn from this. We, we don't offer animal sacrifices either. But that doesn't mean we haven't gotten a lot out of those first ten chapters. Um, I think one of the things we can learn from this, and I'd like for you to give this some thought, in really not just this chapter, but in the... Uh, upcoming chapters as well, is that cleanness is a very important analogy to moral cleanness and moral purity. The New Testament, and you can look up some of this for yourself, I've got a list of passages, but talks a lot about cleanness and purity and purification in a moral sense. And... Uh, so I think this sort of is a, is a physical shadow of the spiritual cleanness and purity that we're to have in Christ. 44% of the uses of the word clean and its derivatives in the Old Testament are found in Leviticus and Numbers. And 64% of the uses of unclean and its derivatives are found, in the Old Testament, are found in Leviticus and Numbers. So a lot of what the Old Testament talks about, clean and unclean, is in Leviticus and Numbers. Um, and, and a lot of what it talks about, clean and unclean, in Leviticus, is in 11 to 15. This is the cleanness section, cleanliness, whatever you want to say. That's my introduction, what do you want to say? Alright, that's good. Alan. Why, the, what is the symbolic nature of making things clean and unclean? That's always been something that's kind of 
thrown me off, I guess. I mean, I know to make them separate, but I'm sure not explain this very good. Uh, I think it gives a parallel to the idea that we are to be morally pure and not sinful. I think the clean and unclean is an analogy. I don't think clean and unclean was the same as sinful and, and, and not sinful. But I think it was sort of an analogy to our moral cleanness or uncleanness. Except that if we're morally unclean, it means sin. sin. Exactly. This was the physical shadow of the moral categories. Physically being unclean did not necessarily mean you were sinful. But in the reality, in the ideal, in the New Testament, uncleanness does mean you're sinful. Britain. For us, for they, for us, our being clean. That for them, it was more of a ritual thing. It was more of a symbolic thing. It was not so much a moral thing here. You had to obey the rules. But it wasn't that these animals were immoral. That there were rules and you had to follow them. And if you didn't follow the rules about cleanness, then you were sinning. You might be unclean through no fault of your own and commit no sin, but you still had to follow the rules then about what you were supposed to do about your uncleanness. Everybody would be unclean at some point in time. Uh, pretty much everybody would have that. For even some natural bodily functions and so forth. <coughs> this is a perfect parallel. I just think as you're saying that kind of like circumcision in the same way, I think back in Philippians 2 or 3, I guess, that it's of the heart, whereas it was simply outward then. In the Old Testament, now it's something in. Yes. Not nearly as we have a parallel with this in mind. Yeah, it's helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Anything else before we begin? 11. This is backtracking, but this thing, you may have observed this in 11, but in, with 11, it does begin a real change from where we've been. Did you comment on that? Yeah, sort of, but yeah. Just, I mean, they just, you know, we've had the sacrifice, the manual sacrifices, the priests have been installed, and sort of, I mean, this actually happened at the beginning of the first, would be in the second year that they were actually out from Egypt, and so you see them kind of progressing, and God, well, not them progressing, but God revealing more and more of his law and will to them. And it's, it's yeah, definitely, there's a definite section break. I'd say one to seven fit together, eight to ten, and now 11 to 15. James. Would this have been hard for the Israelites to do? Like, these animals that are now being, uh, they're now told they cannot eat, they might have been eating before. Would this have been a hard commandment for the Israelites to do? I don't know. Would it have been a hard commandment for them? I'm not sure it would be as hard as others. But, depending on your spirit, any commandment is hard. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of uh, eager uh, respondents. So, Other comments? Alright, uh, how about verses 1 to 8? 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children as you say. These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, have a cloven hose, entering the cud that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that choose the cud, or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews a cud but does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to me. The rock hyrax, because it chews a cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews a cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the serpent, <coughs> though, it though it divides a hoof, having cloven hooves, it does not chew clud, the cud. Okay, we are dealing here with what general category? <coughs> land animals. And what are the criteria of land animals that were edible? Yes, cloven hoof and chewing the cud. What if it has one, say cloven hooves, but doesn't chew the cud? Or the other way, it chews the cud but doesn't have a split hoof. Unclean. Borderline cases are unacceptable. You can't have one and not the other and it be okay. There were two criteria, both had to be met to be something that they could eat. Logan. Uh, I've always been wondering, what on earth is the cud? Okay. <laughs> All right, who's uh, anatomist in here? Bruce. Bruce. So it goes from the first stomach back up, rechewed, and goes into the other stomach. Wow. We may find out more than we want to know, uh, particularly when we get into some later chapters. We may have to put some rules on the questions, but on these it's okay. All right. Other questions and comments on the first eight verses? Shane. What on earth is a rock I don't know. Anybody know what the Shafan, New American Standard, a rock hyrax? Yeah. Some of us have a marginal note that says, a small, shy, furry animal found in the peninsula of the Sinai, northern Israel, in the region around the Dead Sea. Anything else that you want to uh, say before we move on from verse 8? All right. 9 to uh, 12. These may eat whatever is in the water, all the hats, fans, and scales, those in the water, in the seas or in the river, you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and in the river do not have fins and scales. Among all the teeming life of water, and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you, and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their, of their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is important to you. Pretty clear cut. We are dealing with what category? Yeah, the sea creatures, and what's the criteria to make them edible? Fins and scales. Without fins and scales, no eat. Written. What is abomination? 
Abomination means it's uh, disgusting, it's abhorrent, it's something that's terrible. Other comments and questions? So, like, they can't eat crabs or lobsters or anything like that. Yeah, all right. Now, I'm not good on my fish. Crabs and lobsters would both be prohibited, right? Yeah, they have no fins. They have no fins. Yeah, I need one. Yes, Daphne. No. Cassie. I don't know what that is. Okay, so for an example, if the eat and eel would be rather shocking. Yeah. I have no zoological uh, background, so uh, any specific questions on animals will be turned over to those who do. Other questions or comments through 12? Okay, 13 to 19. Now, what's the criteria? Well, what's the category here? Birds, and what's the criteria? These do seem to, in many cases, be meat-eating birds. But what he really does here is to say, here are the ones you can't eat. Right? He gives you the birds you can't eat. So you eat the ones that aren't on this list. So this is like one of the very few times that he tells you what you can't eat. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Comments and questions? Shane. I think it makes sense that they couldn't eat the vulture or the buzzard because those were considered dirty. I mean, they the, I mean, they are the dead things. I mean, you were saying, duh, I mean, you wouldn't want to eat one of those. Yeah. I mean, in this case, it would be helpful. <laughs> I, no one would want to eat of a hoopo. <laughs> no. Ostrich, I don't think all of these were meat eating birds. Josh wants to know what a hoopo is. I have no idea. Anybody know what a hoopo is? What have you got? It's a grouse. A grouse. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions through 19? 20 to 23. All the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours. Those which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on earth. Though these of them you may eat the locust in all its kinds, and the devastating locust in its kinds, and the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. But all other winged insects which are four footed are, de are detestable to you. What's the category? Insects. And what's the criteria for eating them? Well, <laughs> 
Yeah, can you can, can you summarize this? Basically, it's saying you can eat which kind of insects? Slime? Yes, the ones that can hop. Like, you can eat locusts and crickets and grasshoppers and katydids and insects like that. But not ants, spiders. Correct. Yes. Uh, one, one thing that I think, I don't know if this is uh, really correlated to this, but if guys may have needed to put both locusts and grasshoppers in there, because that's what will be prophesied in John the Baptist's day. Yeah, or maybe the, he ate that because they were clean. <laughs> All right. Other comments or questions through 23? So what's the criteria for not being able to eat them? Well, you couldn't eat them unless they were hopping insects. <laughs> they have to have the jointed legs to jump. They don't have the jointed legs to jump, you can't eat them. So if they're walkers instead of jumpers, you can't eat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe walk on all sixes or eights or hundreds. Or... All right, other questions through 23. Okay, uh, 24 to 40. Falls on it, it is unclean to you. 
Also, if one of the animals dies which you have for food, the one who touches its carcass becomes unclean until evening. He too who eats some of its carcass uh, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And the one who picks up its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Okay. Um, here are some specific instructions mostly related to dead animals. What happens if you touch the carcass of an unclean animal? You're unclean. For how long? Until evening. So until a new day begins at sundown, they were considered unclean. Um, what if you touched a living unclean animal? Don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. You could touch a living unclean animal. It's the carcass of an unclean animal that you can touch. Now, you couldn't eat an unclean animal. But you could touch an unclean living animal. But touching an unclean carcass, you are unclean until evening. Um, ben. It says right there concerning all the animals which divide the hoof but do not make a split hoof. Or which do not chew cud, they are unclean to you. In verse 26. Mm -hmm. And whoever touches them becomes unclean. Mm -hmm. But I think he's talking in that category about the carcasses. That's in verse 24. In verse 26, it seems to me like he's talking about living. I don't think so. I think that's still in the category of the carcasses that in 24, <coughs> 25, and 27. If that were not the case, they couldn't have ridden a camel or something like that. Could Jesus, could Jesus ridden a donkey? Yeah. I think not. Yeah. So, this is dealing with carcasses. And then he speaks about the unclean swarming things. And he lists some of those. And what happens if you touch the carcass of an unclean swarming thing? And what happens to something that touches the carcass? of an unclean swarming thing. It's unclean and in some cases it can be washed like in 32 although in other cases like in 33 and 35 you have to destroy what it touches. Like an earthenware vessel can't really be cleansed have the impurity removed so you've just got to destroy it because it's like the impurity sort of seeps into the, the clay uh, so to speak. Um, and it's the same way with seeds. A dry seed is not affected by touching an unclean animal, but a wet seed is. I assume that the wet seed becomes sort of absorbent, and that uncleanness absorbs into the seed. And then what about a clean animal that sort of just dies on its own? I'm not talking about a killing an unclean animal or or sacrificing a clean animal, rather, or sacrificing one, but a clean animal just dies. What happens if you touch that one's carcass? You're also unclean to leave. So you're really unclean if you touch the carcass of any animal other than an animal that's clean that you have killed. I think. I think that you are unclean when you touch the carcass of any dead animal except for a clean animal that you kill. That's my take. Ben? So this, you know, this does sound a lot like a restriction for like disease or something, especially when it starts talking about 
more the best thing. I'm not saying that's conclusive, but you can see where people get that idea from. It, it's very similar to what you would do to protect the infection of some sort. Okay. Not, maybe so. I'm not, I'm not advocating mm -hmm. Shame. It says in verse 27, and whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on forest, those are unclean to you? Does that mean every animal that, walk, that has paws is unclean? Yeah. I'm right. Because they wouldn't have split hooves. <coughs> so, yes. So, do they, they can eat like no mammals? Like no mammals that have paws? Unless they, yeah. Unless they had the cloven nose and two That's correct. Yeah, I believe that's right. Great. I was going to say, Ben says that when we make assumptions about the reason the Lord has chosen a clean and unclean animals that we can eat, based upon some of these things that we read, it seems more logical. Also, I think it's kind of interesting that there's not a prohibition against touching an unclean thing because there would probably be times when they had to move animals or, or do things like that. Someone had to take that responsibility. I agree. It wasn't sinful, but it made you unclean until he's... Yeah, I agree. Alan and then Logan. Uh, do you think... I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but uh, where it talks about like destroying this stuff that is unclean, that is to be destroyed like the oven or whatever, do you think that could be symbolic for... Just removing what caused, because you said later on we find that this is kind of parallel to sin. Would that be like sin removing things that tempt us or whatever from our life? Do you think that could have any correlation there? Probably not. Maybe. Maybe. Probably some kind of correlation in some of that. Logan. Uh, I was going to, I have a question. If they were to move the unclean carcass with sun, like with a shovel, would they still be unclean? Yeah, they just touch on a 10-foot pole. As far as I know, that wouldn't make them unclean, but maybe I don't know enough to answer that. Make the pole unclean. Yeah, and then you couldn't touch the pole, and so you'd be unclean before you touch the pole. Yeah, I see it. Alright, that's... I don't know about that one. If I was being rude, I wouldn't even touch one of these things that one of these creatures with a 10 foot pole back. Alright, Brittany! Okay. Jake. I have a question. I was afraid of that. This whole section talks about dead ends. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, then can you explain 29 Well, in 29 and 30, he's defining swar unclean swarming things uh, so that he can tell you in 31 that whoever touches them when they are dead becomes unclean until they... That makes sense. Other comments? So I wonder, does that mean... No, this is a great concept. <laughs> way the other, but for 29, the way it's worded, it's kind of like the category of swarming things. Yes. yes. And he, he lists the things that are, that are unclean, much like he does with the birds previously. So does that mean the other swarming things that aren't listed are clean to them? I have no idea, and I'm not sure what other swarming things are. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I mean, when you make any comments, that's the idea. I'm not sure about that. Maybe Shane and then Brittany. I have a, I think I have a question. 
Is there any any like particular reasoning for just until night? <laughs> I think night. Uh, the, the the new day began uh, at nightfall, so they're unclean that day. Start okay. a new day. Okay. So, they are not still. so in Israel, when it turns night, it starts a new day. Yes. Okay. Instead of, instead of our big night, <coughs> yes. it's just it's, it's, okay, okay. I think so. Britain. Um, and with the word unclean It's sort of a ritual kind of a thing. It's not saying you're dirty physically. Saying you're ritually sinful. impure. No, not sinful. Not necessarily sinful. Well, like, it could be, I don't know it would be Unclean is ritually impure. You couldn't come into the to the tabernacle or whatever, but it wasn't necessarily simple. So, that, what if you gave along something, you know, that, like on your property back then at, at night, then you had to move it, a dead animal. I suppose that's the next day, and so you have to wait till nightfall that day. Maybe 18 hours or 21 hours. In that case, I would just wait until it was almost dark before moving the thigh. Yeah. Good idea. Probably what to do. I don't know. All right. Other comments and questions through 40? 41 to 47. Every swarming thing that swarms in the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms in the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them, and they become unclean, and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beasts and birds, and every living creature that moves through the waters, and every creature that swarms in the ground. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Okay, maybe this answers the swarming things question. Sounds like all the swarming things are unlawful. Um, Notice the emphasis on the holiness of the Lord that demands us to be holy, and the holiness is reflected even in this daily life, touching animals and uh, and you know eating animals and so forth. Um, and then forty six and forty seven are the summary. Remember, we found a summary at the end of chapter um, seven. We'll find summaries at the end of thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. And this is the summary. This is the distinction that they have to make. You think about the importance of making distinctions. That goes all the way back to what? Even before. (laughs) Before Adam and Eve. Yes. In the creation, God made the distinction. Light from darkness. Waters on the earth and the waters above the earth, the waters from the dry land, etc. 
God making distinctions is as old as the creation. Comments and questions on chapter 11. Britain. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll find it. Anything else on chapter 11? Chelsea? Um, you talked about the sin offering also being a purification offering. Yes. So every time you became unclean, would you have to offer a sin offering? Not every time. There are certain occasions which, yes, in this case, if you touch a carcass, you're unclean until evening, and when evening comes, you're automatically clean again, even though you offer nothing. You can't. Uh, you can't come to the tabernacle when you're unclean. Uh, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Caleb, and then Britain. It seems to me that uh, if there is a strong point to any of those views as to why some animals are considered unclean, that just eleven forty-four and forty-five might be the strong point of the cultic view: the fact that these are. Uh, unclean because of their association with pagan worship, and that would make some sense as to why why he would make that kind of a statement in the midst of all these food laws. Uh, be holy, Brian, holy. There might be more to that that separates them from the, from the nations. Okay, good statement of that view. I don't think so, but maybe. Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anybody knows that one. Ben? <laughs> what be surprised. He may have been back there for all we know. All right, Ben. That's a good point. I do definitely agree that these food laws would set the Israelites apart. And it is true, when you can't eat all these things, 
that's going to make it more difficult to, you know, be close and chummy with your pagan neighbors. And uh, so I think that's true, and certainly the application you made is relevant. We all struggle with trying to fit in, with wanting people to like us, with being influenced by just the values and culture and lifestyle of people around us. We need to be careful about that, Britt. Um, I, I agree with you, and I think that, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of hard to be a Christian with all of your other friends and stuff, and people, the world with people around you that are trying to do other things. But I think it's kind of our responsibility to stay our own, kind of our own way. That's exactly right. It is. Other comments and questions on 11? Mr. Eric. Um, I read that this is not for me, but that, like, in the intertestamental period, that Jews were willing to even be tortured and, and die um, to keep these laws, to not eat unclean things. I just think, you know, if we can only have that heart that we so intensely desire to do exactly what God wants us to do. And, you know, it, like today, no matter in what situation we get ourselves in, no matter how difficult, they wouldn't uh, make exceptions with God's word and make exceptions in following the Lord. What would please them most? Amen. Good comment. I'm sorry, bro. Reminds you of 1 Corinthians 10. Where even in our eating, drinking, Paul said we should glorify God. I mean, th- these things may not, we may not have to, maybe we'll eat pork, but we better just give them to God and all of Amen. Um, also, as on our thing where you couldn't touch the unclean animal and such, they, today, you no, know, we can't be able to be around other people, not be around things sitting and such, without having to, well, yeah, we end up having to fight becoming unclean ourselves. Temptations, peer pressure. Definitely. I don't even have to be in school to know that. It's out there everywhere in the world. Britain? Um, do you guys have like Amish right now? Well, they kind of, I kind of admire them a little bit because they, they're really strong in their religion and they're, they're pretty much one, they're different than everybody else. And like, like you were saying earlier, yeah, it was, it's hard to be different. I think the Amish are, I mean, I don't even know what Tristan and the use of it and everything. But, like, I think we should kind of look up to them and kind of be inspired by them. Oh, that that um, would remind you a little bit of Jeremiah 35. And right where Jeremiah got the Lord used the example of the Rechabites and how they had followed their forefather Jonadab in various rules and regulations that he gave, and they were faithful to that. And yet the Israelites had not been faithful to the Lord. You know, you take the Amish faithful to whoever the founder of Amishism or the, the movement is. Uh, you know, and we're not faithful to the Lord. We're not willing to be different from the Lord. That's a very good point. Eric. Do you have to wash your clothes every time you touch something? Like it says in verse 28, you had to, but was that just for... I don't know the answer to that. I assume so, but I, I don't know that for sure. If it's dead. Yes. All kind of the sense of that's what it said when it heard early on. I would assume that follows through. Kelly. These things are encouraging to us because so much of our lives we when 
God's asking us to make a choice. To pursue God, we're going to inherently have to lose other things. And this may be kind of mundane, but at the same time, well, if they're really going to be faithful to these things, they have to break some pots, they have to stop and wash their clothes, they have to change their schedule because they would be clean. I mean, it would have just been an ongoing demand on them to be conscientious toward God, and sometimes in real economic loss. It's kind of a hassle. A very, uh, yeah. And going back to what James said, the question he asked at the beginning of the section, you know, would it be difficult for them to keep these laws of not eating that unclean? And I suppose that in daily prosperous life, maybe it wouldn't have been that difficult. But when it got down to it, and there was somebody was being besieged, you know, would they, just like Eric was pointing out, would they stand true to God's laws, or would they give in? It should really be easier to give in. Provided it was a test for them in those circumstances. Good point. Ben? I just wonder, there's no way to let her know, I guess, but when they started becoming faithful, do you think they stopped offering the great sacrifice on the altar first, or do you think they stopped obeying the regulations? And you think sometimes about how it really is easier to sacrifice the Lord than it is to be irrigated. Yeah, well, as you look at the prophets, they seem to keep sacrificing no matter how wicked they became in their life and how negligent they were of other laws. I think we do the same thing. Usually going to church is the last thing to stop. You know, we keep doing that even though we're living miserably. Anything else on 11? Eric? Maybe just a quick kind of however statement. Um, we talked a lot about how you know, Christians need to be are different people really in the world, and that, that's so true. I mean, you see that a lot here. Yet, I think sometimes we can use we can, the tendency, which uh, I mean doesn't mean that we shouldn't be different, but the tendency is that we have a prideful attitude in that. Um, even maybe some of the things that we see in the Pharisees and the New Testament, and not reach out, not you know uh, trying to you know reach out and spread the Lord to other people. And, you know, it, I understand that can be. Yeah, we should be different without being smug. Right. Yeah. Anything else? These things would take us a lot of time to remember and to teach your kids. That's what we're doing here today. Good. Anything else? Chapter 12. <laughs> Two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. 
And if Rachel make atonement for her, then she will be clean. So, we are still dealing with uncleanness. Chapter 11 was uncleanness caused by basically external factors, animals, and so forth. Here, we are dealing in chapters 12 to 15 about uncleanness associated with our own body, functions and conditions of the body. And uh, in this chapter, particularly, uncleanness uh, because of bearing children, uh, giving birth. And... uh, what would be the natural divisions of this uh, chapter, do you think? Okay, one through five would be? Uh, no. No. One through four is the male. Five is the female. Six through eight is the purification. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to look at that. Um, so, when she bears a male child, she's unclean for seven days, and on the eighth day, they circumcise the boy, and then she continues unclean for 33 days. Um, possibly, the thing that renders her unclean is not so much the birth, but the discharge that accompanies the birth. That's at least something to consider. However, if it's a female child, she's unclean for two weeks weeks and then continues in an unclean state, essentially, for how many more days? So it's 40 days for a boy, 80 days for a girl. And after those days of purification, then what is she supposed to do? Offer offerings. What offerings? Alright, burnt and sin. For a burnt offering, she's to bring what? Lamb. One year old lamb. For a sin offering, a pigeon or turtle dove, a bird. And uh, so that's the atonement. However, in verse 8, there is one provision made here. Like if you're poor and you can't afford the lamb, in that case, what's to be done? She can substitute a pigeon or turtle dove for the lamb and bring two of them, one of them for the burnt offering, the other for the sin offering. Now, this is a clear case that shows that in some cases, being unclean is not sinful. It's not sinful for a woman to bear a child. And it's interesting that in this case, apparently, which offering came first? The burnt offering. If she had committed sin, I think that would not be the case. You'd have to cleanse her from her sin with the sin offering before you could offer the burnt offering. She is unclean, but this is a ceremonial uncleanness. This is not a sinful condition. She still has to provide the sacrifices. And um, the special uh, concession for the poor is interesting. You might notice in Luke 2.24, Mary took advantage of that. She brought the two birds instead of the lamb and the bird. Is there some sort of reason between the distinction No, but it seems to be parallel to the male child being a week and then circumcised on the eighth day. But I'm not sure what to say about the difference between the 7 and 33, between the 14 and the 66. 
Somebody want to offer an intelligent comment on that? Other questions and comments on the impurity connected with childbirth? Britain. So, since it says that in verse 8, you can substitute like a turtle bone or a pigeon. So then, if she's poor and she can't afford, if she can't afford something, or if she can't afford a lamb? Yes. I guess she's got to. There's no other uh, provisions given in this case. She needs to at least bring in the two birds. Shane. That just kind of sounds just kind of stupid. I'm drawing a blank. What are they supposed to do when uh, when they're unclean? Are they supposed to stay away from people? Is that what they're supposed to do? From the tabernacle. They couldn't come and offer sacrifices. Uh, there may be some other things to say about that. What else? What else will we say about what the uncleanness affects? I'm not sure what else to say about that. Maybe we'll come across some things that might help us. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, no, we're not there yet. Sorry. Other question, comments on twelve. Is there a reason why the sin offering is necessary? Like, is there a certain reason for it? Well, I would say, that's a good question, that the sin offering is is sometimes, would be, maybe even better translated, purification offering. Some of the translations do say that. This is to purify her, not of a sin sin, but of uncleanness. So in this case, probably be better to think of it as a purification offering. Other questions and comments? <coughs> okay, chapter 13. Um, this is, the 13 and 14 are the long chapters here, and it's not going to take me long to go through these. I don't know what you'll say about them. Uh, but these are about leprosy. Although, I think we will agree, after reading these chapters, that we are not at least exclusively dealing with Hansen's disease, that is, leprosy. That's what we would call, leprosy that we think of as leprosy was Hansen's disease. Maybe that's not even covered here. If it is, it's not the only thing covered here. This refers to various sorts of skin diseases. And uh, again, I would suggest this is a religious law, not a health law. In my judgment, in chapters 13 and 14, I may point out a thing or two about that. So, uh, let's look at some of this. I'm not even sure how to divide this. Um, I guess we'll just look at it a section at a time. But there's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to answer for you on this. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, 1 to 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, that he shall be brought to Aaron and the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and of the hair in the infection, and if the hair in the infection has turned white, and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. 
But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body, and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him who has, ha who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day, and if his eye... And if in his eyes the infection has not changed, and the infe infection has not spread on the skin, the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, and if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads farther on the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again to the priest. The priest shall look, and if the scab is spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Okay. We are dealing with some kind of a manifestation on the skin. Verse 2. Swelling, scab, bright spot. What is he supposed to do if he has one of these skin situations? <laughs> Go to the priest. And the priest is supposed to look for what? White hair and the depth of it, if it looks like it's deeper than the skin, uh, the color of the spot, and based on those things, he does one of two things. If the hair is white in it, or if it looks deeper than the skin, what does he do? He's unclean. If the hair is not white, and if it doesn't look deeper than the skin, and if the bright spot's white, then what does he do? Isolates him for seven days, and then on the seventh day, checks him out again if it hadn't spread, hadn't changed, then the priest will go seven more days, and if still it hasn't spread, and the infection's fading, then the priest is, can wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab is spread after seven or fourteen days, then... He's unclean. Comments and questions. So you're saying the leprosy is probably used more of a generic term for skin. Yes. This is the first one that would be pretty honest about some of these things. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know. Yeah. Good point. Well, it's like a broken bowl. You sure wouldn't want to get on this course. Be isolated from society would be extremely severe punishment. A lot of temptation. Yes. A lot of temptation not to go to the priest when you were having skin problems. All right. I am going to, I think it will, would be reasonable. See what you think. We've got, it's a about 4.08. We'll go to 5. Why don't we take about a five-minute break and then do the rest of this? What do you think about that? It'd probably be good to have a brief break, but let's not make it too long so that we can spend as much time as we can until 5. But it comes there anything. But uh, we're going to try to understand it as we go through the best we can. I don't have a lot of details, but we'll try to, you know, just uh, underscore the main points, and then you can make comments and ask questions. So we've looked at these swellings and rashes and spots and so forth in 2 through 8, we're going to find some different skin conditions. And we're going to, we're going to look at them 
a section at a time, skin condition at a time. So, 9 to 17. When the infection of leprosy is on a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall then look, and if there's a white swelling in the skin, and it is turned the hair white, and there's quick raw flesh in the swelling, it is a common leprosy on the end of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. If the leprosy breaks out farther on the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of him who has the infection, from his head even to his feet, as far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and behold, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce clean him who has the infection. It is all turned white, and he is clean. But whenever raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. The priest shall look at the raw flesh, and he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh turns again and is changed to white, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall look at him. And behold, if the infection has turned to white, then the priest shall pronounce clean. Him who has the infection is clean. Okay. Here is the situation in which there are more severe cases. Uh, for example, in 9 through 11, what's the situation? He should be brought to the priest. Yeah, but what, what, what's his condition? White swelling in the skin. White swelling, white hair, raw flesh in the swelling, and what's the, what, what is he, what's to happen with him? This is chronic leprosy. What are they supposed to do about it? Yeah, he doesn't go through those seven days and seven more days of isolation. He's unclean. He's got chronic leprosy. He's to be quarantined. Shay. In verse 11 it says, it is, an old, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him. Yes. We have chronic where you have old. He's not to be isolated for that seven days, that other seven days. He's just to be unclean and sent off. Oh, I took it as he was not to be isolated at all. No, it's that he's not to go through those isolation periods. He's just declared unclean. Exactly. Yes. Um, And then in 12 through 12 and 13, you have what kind of a situation? Yeah, it's like the whole body's covered with leprosy. What does that mean? Kind of surprising. He's clean. As long as it's white and there's no raw flesh, he's clean. It's, he's already got all the leprosy he could have ever gotten. It's kind of run its course. He's, he's covered and he's okay. That's kind of weird, but that's uh, apparently the way that was. However, if there's any raw flesh that appears, then he's unclean. The raw flesh definitely is a uh, no-no. That means you're, you're leprous. But if he had raw flesh and it turns white, then he comes to the priest, and what does the priest say? He's clean. He's clean. Comments or questions? Now, is this here referring to actual disease? I don't think so. I think this is referring to whatever skin disease this. Reminds me of something I've heard of is one that's a genetic disease of the area. But it's more of Africa than Israel. Could be. Shame. I do understand what you said about that. 
Well, it's like if he's got it all over his body, it's already he's already done. It's already gone through it. And so he's clean. Oh, okay. Like so it's like you can't you can't spread it anymore. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I think that's the idea. Seems a little weird, but I think that's what he's saying. And he doesn't have raw flesh, so it's still it's not a, a oozing ulcerating. Yucky sort of thing. <laughs> uh, some of these skin diseases, I think, would have been contagious. Yeah. Other comments and questions? And away from the encampment of the people. They have to be quarantined. I think so. These are the rules. He doesn't really talk about it being contagious. I think probably most many skin diseases would be, but he doesn't really deal with it on that basis. Anything else? It was a fictional book, but it tells a lot of history of the time. There was there were more of the time of Christ where there were you know, areas where a bunch of uh, lepers would live together. Then, like a like colony? Easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shane? Um, oh, yeah. If, when they were traveling in the wilderness, would they send them out uh, completely out of the camp, and would they leave them in the wilderness? I don't think so, but I think they'd have to travel outside the camp. So, like, they have to follow at a distance? Or I would think so. I don't know of any specific <laughs> statement about what happened when they moved and they had some people outside the camp, but that would be my guess. Anything else? 18 to 23. And when the body has a boil on its skin and it is healed, and in the place of the boil there is a white swelling or reddish color, bright spot, then it should be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look and behold, if it appears to be lower than the skin, and hair on it has turned white, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is the infection of leprosy that has broken out in the, in the boil. But if the priest looks at it and behold, there are no white hairs in it, and it is not lower than the skin, and it is faded. Then the priest shall isolate him for seven days, and if it spreads far, farther on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection. But if the bright spot remains in its place and does not spread, it is only the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Okay. Um, so you've got uh, here the aftermath of a boil. And um, if it's um, deeper than the skin, and there's white hair in it, then what does that mean? Unclean. But if there's no white hair in it, and it's not deeper than the skin, what's the priest supposed to do? Isolate him for seven days, and? And, 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 and? And examine it. If it hadn't spread any, then he's clean. clean. But if it has, yes, that's the idea. And this is kind of like saying that if it doesn't spread, if it's not deep, if there's no white hair in it, then it's sort of like the scar of it. It's kind of, you know, it has left a mark, but the disease has passed. Comments or questions? 24 to 28. 
body sustains it in its skin, are burned by fire, and the raw flesh of the bird becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white. And then the priest shall look at it, and if the hair in the bright spot has turned white and it appears to be deeper than the skin, it is leprosy. It has broken out in the bird. Therefore, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection of leprosy. But if the priest looks at it, and indeed there is no white hair in the bright spot, and it is no deeper than the skin, but is dim, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days. And the priest shall look at him on the seventh day, if it spreads further in the skin. Then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection of leprosy. But if the bright spot remains in its place, and it is not spread in the skin, but is dim, it is the swelling from the bird, and the priest shall pronounce him for it is only the scar of the bird. Okay, seeing some patterns here, but this is relating to what? A burn. It's another indication, but this isn't necessarily what we think of as leprosy. You know, here's here's a burn. And uh, you look at the burn, and uh, if there's raw flesh, uh, and the hair is white, and it's deeper than the skin... Then what? It's leprosy. He's unclean. If there's no white hair, and it's not deeper than skin, what's to happen? Isolated for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest looks to see if if it has spread. If it hasn't spread, then he's clean. It's only the scar of the burn. Comments and questions? He has to be isolated, yes. I think so. Okay, 29 to 37. If a man or a woman has a sore on the head or chin, the priest will examine the sore, and if he finds a depression visible in the skin, with the hair on it yellow and thin, he will declare the sick person unclean. This is tinea, that is to say, a contagious skin disease of the head or chin. If, on examining this case of Tania, the priest finds no visible depression in the skin and no yellow hair, he will isolate the person so affected for seven days. He will examine the infected part on the seventh day, and if he finds that the Tania has not spread, that the hair on it is not yellow, and that there is no visible depression in the skin, the sick person will shave his hair off, all except the part affected with Tania, and the priest will again isolate him for seven days. He will examine the infected part on the seventh day, and if he finds that it has not spread over the skin, and that there is no visible depression of the skin, the priest will declare the sick person clean. After washing his clothes, the person will be clean. But if after this purification the tinea does spread over the skin, the priest will examine the person. If he finds that the tinea has indeed spread over the skin, the sick person is unclean, and there is no need to verify whether the hair is yellow. Whereas if, so far as he can see, the tinea is arrested and dark hair is beginning to grow on it, the sick person is cured. He is clean, and the priest will declare him clean. Okay. These are diseases of the... Head. Yeah. The head, basically. Scalp, um, whatever. And so, you look at that, and uh, if it's deeper than the skin, and there's yellowish hair in it, then? Unclean. Unclean. But if it doesn't seem to be deeper than the skin, there's no uh, colored hair in it, then what's done? Isolated for seven days. 
seven days. And if it hasn't spread and there's no yellowish hair in it, and it doesn't seem to be steeper than the skin, then he shaves himself, but not the, the place, and uh, he's isolated for seven more days. So on the 14th day, the priest looks. It's not deeper than the skin. hasn't spread. Then the priest, he's clean. If it has spread, he's unclean. Um, it's basically what I see in the scalp skin diseases. Comments and questions? Shame. When you said they had to shave, they had to shave on that spot or the whole head? Uh... Well, in verse 33 it says, Then he shall save himself, but shave himself. But he shall not shave the scale. So I'm taking it that he shaves everything but the sore. Am I right? Eric? Just real quick, um, I don't know if this was a consequence, but in 29 it says, Man or woman, I can choose, and is everyone the same thing? I assume this could apply to male or female. Yeah, and I, like in two, would that be male or female as well? I assume. We don't have Kyle in here at the moment, I don't think, to interpret the Hebrew for us. Where's Kyle when we need him? Anything else? We are making progress, boys and girls. All right, uh, 40 to 44. This is applicable to uh, one of our members. <laughs> now, if a man loses the hair of his head, he is bald. He is clean. And if his head becomes bald at the front and sides, he is bald on the forehead. He is clean. But if on the bald head or the bald forehead there occurs a reddish, reddish white infection, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or on his bald forehead. If his priest shall look at him, and if the swelling of the infection is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprosy in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. All right, so this is dealing with what kind of situation? <laughs> like, if it's bald or something. Yeah, if he's bald. <laughs> Is he clean? Well, why would he be clean? No reddish white infection. Depends on whether or not there's a reddish white infection on the bald spot on his forehead or on his head. Kind of hard to hide that in some people's cases. All right, comments and questions on that? Nice, we have a, a visual aid with this. <laughs> I told Ben or someone the other night, he's just a shining example of a young man who came out on top. <laughs> so this raises the question of whether or not the old man like Isaac and Moses were bothered. I don't know. <laughs> All right, anything through 44? He couldn't, Moses couldn't move bald. Haven't you seen that movie? <laughs> I can't find anything wrong on TV. Kelly. Yeah, yeah but if that was... It's very mundane. It's just interesting that the woman had to shave her head, potentially. 
Again, that's chapter 14. Well, but if it's contagious, then. Yeah. That's chapter 14. But yes. But how do you send for the priest? If you can't contact him? The priest would just come and send. The priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Yeah, I think the priest had to go outside the camp to the leper to check him out. In that case. Wouldn't the priest be risking getting the leprosy himself? I don't know. Some sort of protection if I gave the priest. What God said to do. It's contagious, so the priest. The thing I would say about this is that the point that's made in the text is not the contagiousness. We do know that some skin diseases are contagious, they aren't all. I don't think that's the point here, though. The point here is that these diseases cannot remain in the company of God's people. They have to be excluded. Not, not just for the contagiousness, but that they can't be there. Now, the lesson would be those who have spiritual uncleanness have to be excluded from God's people. They can't continue there. Kelly? Yeah, and for them, I mean, the thing that was critical to them was not being physically sick, but being separated from God. And if this unclean status uh, I mean if someone touched leper they'd be unclean and so on and, and they, that's what they couldn't let happen in the camp so they moved into people out of the camp whether it's contagious or not physical or not the thing was not creating a, a separation from God yes that's one of the amazing things about Jesus in the New Testament touching lepers yes Amazing. Same. Is it only skin diseases where they were banished out of the camp, or was there was there different diseases that they were? I don't know about other diseases. There were other reasons I mean, to be yeah. sent out the camp, out the camp. But the diseases, I think, are mostly skin diseases. Britain, JD, uh, Ben, JD. 
Uh, I was going to say, along the same lines of, of the isolation of, of someone who is suffering from something like this, uh, Gary Sandusky uh, has been over to uh, India before, and he's come in contact with, with <coughs> these sorts of people who, who are just isolated from society. And he's, he's got a story about going up to a little boy who nobody would, would contact, nobody would touch. And Gary, you know, stuck out his hand, sh shake the little boy's hand, and the little boy wouldn't look into the eye. And the translator had to say, you know, Mr. Sandusky, you know, he's a leper, nobody touches him. And so, you know, contact with somebody like that, I don't, I don't think we realize how, how important this, this, you know, this wasn't just, oh, you go on a week, week long vacation outside the city, you come back. You know, this is, this is big stuff. You know. To, to lose contact with, you know, not only other people, but to lose the ability to go to the tabernacle to worship God. You know, this is this is something that's huge. And I, I don't think that you know, in a modern context, we really understand uh, very much how, how how much impact this had on on, you know, on a leper, on someone suffering from something like this. Excellent. So, like with Israel and. No, I guess that the Babylonians basically kick them out for the sins they were doing. They were basically spiritually leprous. And so they were kicked out in camp. So everyone was kicked out. Yes. Funny. Good example of it. Now, do you think there's But that's not really the way I look at this. Go. No treatment involved in any fashion. I do think it's really, I mean, for, you may be going to make more comments about 46, not 45 and 46, but long before you were saying, this would just been such a humiliating thing to be sentenced to potentially for the rest of your life. There was apparently no cure. There's never a cure spoken of. It was just divinely given sometimes, sometimes divinely taken away. I mean, it would really, you know, I mean, from my perspective, it would be hard not to be bitter about this and then bitter about the consequences that God said, you know, here it is, your life's been changed forever, and then God says, well, you have to be, you can't be with anybody else. I think the spotlight then comes back on just the holiness of what God's, the, the holiness God's trying to preserve and, and, and spotlight the people. Amen. Do you, do you like? Go forget what you Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that like leprosy was pretty much a punishment from God, kind of? I don't take it that way here. I'm not saying it couldn't have been. Miriam was punished with leprosy, but I, I'm not. I don't think that that's really implied in the text. My feeling, John. Uh, this. It's really pretty, uh, as J.D. said, really hard. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's nice to get away and not talk to anybody for a while. But, I mean, the Romans used uh, isolation as a form of torture. I mean, this is not, being by yourself is not easy, and it's not a good thing. And so when you, when they are cast from the camp, I mean, it's possible they never speak to the person again the rest of their life. I mean, who knows? And so... I mean, it's a tough law to obey. And like, I don't know if you just had you know, a spot that wouldn't go away. You know, why wouldn't you just 
not go to the priest. I mean, but you know, here, I mean, a good Jew would go to the priest and say, you know, I have this problem. You gotta kick me out. Max. Well, I, I, I think that, that would be horrible to be away from the people and all, but it seems that to me that the, the point is that the person's out of the presence of God because that's where God is in the midst of the And, you know, as far as the, the health issues, it seems to me that if, if this was about health issues, he would be telling us that this is contagious and that sort of thing, you know, and, and be dwelling somewhat on that. But it's pretty obvious the book of Leviticus is dealing with the idea of holiness and what it takes to be able to be with God <coughs> in the midst of the town. In the book of Numbers, he's going to set it up and say, you know, here's the tabernacle is going to be in the middle and then you're going to be encamped around. So if God's going to be in the midst of the camp, you better be holy. And it, it just seems to me that, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that there <clears throat> might not be a, a good reason health-wise for, for some of those things, but it just seems to me like that sort of takes away from the point of the, the point of it. You know, is you want to be near God, you don't want to be outside the camp. Amen. Caleb. Yeah, even though uh, obviously sin or leprosy doesn't always seem to uh, mean that a person has sinned, as in Job's case. Uh, but still, leprosy and these skin diseases do seem to be symbolic of sin in, and, and of its consequences, as he just mentioned, uh, talking about the fact that it separated them from God. And, and that's really a picture. Uh, leprosy is really a picture of what sin does. Also, uh, hyssop is used in connection with cleansing the leper, and also in Psalm 51, verse 7, David used that to talk about uh, purging our sin from us. And so there are a lot of connections between leprosy and, and sin. It does seem to be symbolic of it. Almost a figure, a physical shadow of yeah. sin. Eric? Um, I think even some of the physical things about some of these skin diseases uh, were just maybe showed disgustingness of sin as well, like maybe more help to see it in a kind of a visible, dramatic way. Um, maybe even that has to do with like uh, all the blood and uh, all the sacrifices and <coughs> how gross that was as well. But there was an interesting fact that we learned in class um, that a lot of times when uh, people with skin diseases, I'm not sure which type, um, would like lose parts of their body like fingers and things like that. Um, a lot of times, it was because in those skin diseases, they would their uh, their hands or whatever would go numb um, based on that. And then, like I get, apparently at night, um, like animals things like that would come, and, and that's how they lose it. So <laughs> I mean that's pretty gross, and uh, that um, that's I that was what class. So I mean, just saying it is a very gross thing. I mean, ma- mainly. You see how you put it from God, but it's also very Oh, I have a question. If the lepers, if their leprosy was confirmed and they were always supposed to be outside of care for the rest of their life, how do they offer sin offerings and peace offerings and all of the sacrifices? They didn't. So nothing could be done about their sin? At least no sacrifices offered.
You know, I mean that. I think what's being said is right. The horrible thing is you're cut off from God, and part of being cut off from God is you can't offer sacrifices. You can't make offerings. If it wasn't your fault that you got the leprosy, though. We're not saying it was. I'm saying if it wasn't, and you couldn't uh, offer sacrifices to God anymore, would God not hold back? Would that would God have not held it against them or not? Do we not know? I don't. I'm not. I'm not prepared to say God would held it against them. I mean, I think. I think here we're not thinking about eternal destiny. We're thinking about the physical shadow, and so I would say, you know, not necessarily that God have held it against them, but they still could not do the things that maintain that connection with God here on the earth. Right. Oh, kind of like you said earlier about leprosy being kind of it has a lot of relation to um, punishment from God. Well, since they're cast out from the people and from God, and they're they're pretty much away from God now, and they have no no connection with God except through prayer. Then I think I think I mean if it's not about punishment to them, then it's kind of not really. Yeah, that may be true. Uh, I don't know that fairness is necessarily the criteria of some of these kinds of things. Shane? Sometimes I struggle with being bitter about things that I deserve. You know, if I deserve them, I'm using bitter even though I know I deserve them. But I can't think about, I can't even realize how bitter I would be for something I didn't deserve. I mean, just, just, just I, I mean, we were completely ignorant. We, we had nothing to do with it. I mean, I struggle with that, and I think I would be not that we don't all deserve worse than leprosy, but yeah. Amen. And it goes back to what Max was saying. We just, you know, God was using even these really horrendous things to to show the people you'll be treated as holy and the, the sanctuary will be treated as holy. And there were certain situations in the Old Testament, right, that, as we talked about last night, there was David with his sin with Bathsheba, there was Christ for that. I mean, maybe the day of atonement covered that. We presume it did. But they were just, you know, as they prayed there for Psalms. I mean, he just threw himself at God for mercy, as you said. It wasn't so much a, uh, a so much his eternal destination is in view here, but just their rightness, their cleanness, or unbelief. I agree. Good comment. <clears throat> we are thinking through these things very deeply. I mean, I think this is helpful. This is uh, <coughs> my thinking a lot, and uh, you know, perhaps we can. You know, think some things and, and understand some things through this. Do you have any other comments or questions? How far are we? We're through 46. 47 to the end of the chapter. <coughs> when a garment has a mark of leprosy in it, whether it is a wool garment or a linen garment, whether in warp or wool, or linen or a wool, in leather or in any article made of leather, if the mark is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather or in the warp or in the woof or in the article of leather, it is a leprous mark and shall be shown to the priest. Then the priest shall look at the mark and shall quarantine the article with the mark for seven days. He shall then look at the mark on the seventh day if the mark is spread in the garment, whether in the warp or in the woof, 
or in the leather, whatever the purpose for which the leather is used, to mark its malignancy, it is unclean. So he shall burn the garment, whether the warp or the wool, or woof in the wool, or in linen, or in or any article of leather in which the mark occurs. For it is a leprous malignancy, it shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest shall look, and indeed the mark is not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf, or in the, any article of leather, then the priest shall order them to wash the thing in which the mark occurs, and he shall quarantine it for seven more days. After the, the mark is <coughs> washed, the priest shall look again. And if the mark has not changed its appearance, even though the mark has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether an, <coughs> an eating away has produced bareness on the top or on the front of it. Then if the priest looks, and if the mark is faded after it has been washed, then he shall tear it out of the garment or out of the leather, whether from the warp or from the wolf. And if it appears again in the garment, whether in the warp or in the wolf, or in the fold leather, it is an outbreak. The article with the mark shall be burned in the fire. The garment, whether the warp or the wolf, or any article of leather from which the mark is departed and you washed it, it shall then be washed a second time and will be clean. This is the law for the mark of leprosy in a garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or in the wool, or in any article of leather for pronouncing it clean or unclean. So, we're away from talking about individuals now. We're talking about leprosy in garments and articles of clothing, which, again, would not be Hansen's disease here, but is some sort of a uh, mark. And so, you get a mark in your clothes. What are you supposed to do? Take to the priest, and what does the priest do when he looks at the mark? Yeah, isolates the article for seven days, and then on the seventh day he looks to see if if it's spread. If it has, then yeah, and what does he do with it? Burns the clothing. If it hasn't spread, then what does he do? Washes. Uh, washes it, quarantine for seven days, then he looks. And if the mark has not changed, then it's unclean and you burn it. If the mark has faded, then you rip out the part with the mark and you wash it again and it's clean. And 59 is your summary. Britain. Um. I don't actually get Obviously, found out from reading on and on throughout the entire book of Leviticus. 
the one thing that's kind of encouraged me, just look at these processes and regulations and way of examining if there's something wrong or some kind of contamination or whatever in these products. And I see the application there for us. I mean, it's so easy to recognize sin in our life, and yet we, we justify, we rationalize with ourselves. I know that's kind of obvious, but I mean, it's a very important factor. I mean, we've got to examine ourselves day by day to see if we are in the true faith, to, to take heed lest we fall. I mean, that's applied to myself. Good. Other comments? <coughs> James. Um, it's interesting how much the priest did. Because in all of these, the priest is the one mentioned as doing. <coughs> you would think that the three priests... The <laughs> Not that there wouldn't be more priests in time. Eventually. But what, what would happen um, if they out of time? And there wasn't somebody to do it. <laughs> you wonder if they had to deal with a lot of this in the wilderness and so forth. God kind of protected their clothing and their shoes and things. And you wonder if this wouldn't apply more once they got in the land and settled in the land. That could be. I have a question about that. So if you live far away from the temple, would you have to take your garment or your article of clothing and like make a several day trip to the temple so that you could show it to the priests? And watch them burn it. Priests <laughs> gather around the whole scattered out through all those 48 cities, just certain cities would the priests live in, because the cities were divided among the different sons of Levi, correct? And so there were just like 12 or 13, I think, that the priests would live in, am I right? But still, they still were around, yeah. in every city. Yeah, although to make the offerings for the cleansing, they'd have to go to the tabernacle. What if the leprosy would he have to follow the same rules? I assume so. <laughs> I was just wondering if anybody ever had something like that break out. <laughs> I mean, you would think you would still see something like that today. Le- leather shoes will, will mold. And I don't know if I've this happened. But... You know, I suspect <laughs> our laundering is different. Maybe that would make a difference. Well, the clothing's valuable. I mean, you want what of it you could keep. You know, only the affected part is destroyed. You see that God doesn't want this spreading. Better to burn it than to let it spread. Um, There's a lot of passages that use clothes in a symbolic way to represent sin or righteousness. Lots of passages. So there's symbolic significance here. Anything else you want to say on chapter 13, Mr. James? When we say the high priest, the, the priest, when we when it's running the priest, is that the high priest? I don't think priest? so. I think any priest. Alright. That was something. Uh, we are almost halfway through the book. And we got one more day, so we'll do what we can.
Um, but if you want to continue the study, be back at 9.30 in the morning. We'll work from 9.30 to 5 tomorrow and then a